The title this morning then, as you can see, is Bread of Life. Jesus is the Bread of Life. And uh, this is a continuation in our series in John, John's Gospel. Uh, for those that weren't here last week, we saw that after that incredible miracle, when Jesus multiplied the loaves and fishes and fed thousands and thousands of people, the crowd got almost into a frenzy and wanted to take him and make him their king. They wanted him to deliver them from the Romans. And uh, it would seem like it was a situation that was totally out of control. But Jesus was in complete control. And he sent his disciples across the lake ahead of him. And he sent the crowd away. He took complete control of the situation. And he went up into the mountain to pray. While he was there, a storm came up. And the disciples got into very serious trouble. They were right in the middle of the lake. They'd been trying to uh, get to the other side for hours. They were exhausted and the storm was getting more fierce and it looked like they were going to go and uh, go under. It looked like they were going to sink. But Jesus came to them. He saw them and he came to them walking on the water and uh, they were afraid at first. They thought it was a ghost but then when they saw that it was him, he said, don't be afraid, it's me. They invited him into the boat. As soon as they invited him in, the storm ceased and another miracle happened. They were immediately on the other side and safe. Now that's where we're going to pick it up this morning and continue. On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except that which his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread. That's the other side of the lake. After the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, that's on the other side of the lake, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Now, it doesn't read very well in the New King James Version. Other versions read a bit better. What it means is this, that we know that everyone saw Jesus send the disciples off on their own. He wasn't with them. They saw him go into the mountain to pray. And they went across to the other side. They saw that there was only one boat there. That was the boat of the disciples. They knew that Jesus didn't get into that boat. So everybody went back to the other side to try to find Jesus. And he wasn't there, of course. And so they all went back again onto the other side where they eventually found him and said to him, how did you get here? I can imagine Jesus saying, well, it's a long story. <laughs> but he didn't say that. What did he say? Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Now you notice Jesus didn't answer the question didn't answer it have you discovered that about Jesus sometimes he doesn't tell you what you ask him but he tells you what you need to know you notice that 
He doesn't always answer your questions. And we found that, for example, with Nicodemus. Nicodemus came to him and said, Lord, we know that you're a teacher come from God because no one can do these miracles unless God is with him. Jesus didn't go down that road with him. He said, you must be born again. He took him where he wanted to go. He told him what he needed to know. Unless you are born again, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. That's what you need to know. Sometimes we ask things and we don't need to know the answer to those questions, but what we need to know is what we need to know. Amen. Same with the woman at the well. Jesus asked her for water. And uh, she said, how is it you, a Jew, asking me, a Samaritan? And Jesus said, if you knew who it was that was asking, you would ask him and he would give you water. Then she asked him the question, well, how are you going to get water? You don't have a bucket. You don't have a bucket. And, and also, are you greater than Jacob who gave us this well? Jesus didn't go there with, with her. He said, if you drink this water, you will thirst again. You'll keep on thirsting and thirsting and thirsting. But if you drink the water that I will give you, you will never thirst again. That's what you need to know. Amen. And Jesus always tells us what we need to know. He doesn't answer all our questions, but he tells us what we need to know. And what he said to them is this, they followed him because of the signs or the miracles, but didn't, didn't get the significance of the sign. You remember we saw, see if I can get this up here. There we go. John called the miracles signs. He built his account of the gospel around seven signs. They were called signs because they signified something. They revealed some aspect of his glory. And they didn't see it. They didn't see the glory of God. They saw the signs. They saw the miracles. They wanted a miracle worker because they needed a miracle to, de to deliver them from the Romans. That's what they wanted. And then, as he said, they also followed him because they were fed. He fed them. Now, it dawned on me this week that this year I've been 50 years in ministry. Yeah. 1973, I graduated from Bible. Thank you. I know, I don't even look 50. I mean, I, I am. 50 years. I can, two things I can tell you, but based on this, two things. I mean, look, every preacher wants a big crowd. If they tell you otherwise, then I would, I would <laughs> doubt whether they're telling the truth. Every preacher would like, the, it takes a long time to prepare a message from the Word of God. You want as many people as you can to hear it. Amen? And I have preached to crowd in New Zealand. We pastored a church of over 300 every week. I preached to, you know, conferences of a thousand plus and upwards from there. Um, but I'll tell you this, two things. Number one, if you advertise signs and wonders, people will be healed. You'll have a big crowd. You will have a big crowd, okay? And the second thing I can guarantee is this. If you have a very big program that majors on feeding the poor, if you've got a food barn and you're going to feed the hungry or, or give to the, you know, the needy, you will never be persecuted. You will never be persecuted. No one will ever persecute you. And those two things are good. I'm not knocking them. But I'm just saying, miracles, needs met, you'll have a big crowd. Feed the hungry, you'll never be persecuted. Oh, they're good guys, you know. They always care for the poor. 
But if you preach the gospel, if you preach the true gospel, you are not guaranteed a big crowd. In fact, in this chapter, as we're going to see next week, most of the disciples left Jesus. Most of them turned away and walked away from him. Because he said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, unless you know that you've got to live from me, your life has got to come from me, you've got to have faith in me, trust in me every moment of every day, feed upon me, then you have no life in you, unless you do that. And many of them couldn't handle that. They turned around and walked away. Amen? But Jesus told them not to labour for the bread that perishes, but for the living bread that endures eternally. The bread he gives can do what no ordinary bread can do. That is to give spiritual life, nourish the soul, and even impact the body can. Because it quickens our body and uh, gives life to our body and, and eventually will raise our body from the dead. Praise God. Now, he said labour for this bread. Now, when he said labour for this bread, he was not teaching salvation by works of course he wasn't because he just said and we'll go we'll go back let's just quickly look at that do not labor for the the food which perishes but for the food which endures to everlasting life which the son of man will give you he will give you it's a gift salvation is a gift amen and so he wasn't teaching us to work for salvation only he can give this, and he has been sealed by the Father to do so. A seal guarantees authenticity and ownership. The Father publicly and, and openly owned him and endorsed him as the one that was sent into the world to be our Saviour. Now, when he said that, they said to him, What shall we do? What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. Amen. Now there was a belief amongst the Jews that there were three types of people. Okay, this is the way they thought. And you can see it in the Gospels actually. You actually see this. They thought the th three types of people were the good, the bad, and those in between. Now we know that's not true. We know there are three types of people, the good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> no, no, no. The good, the bad, and those... But when you look at the gospel, you can see that the Pharisees thought they were the good. We're above the rest. They gathered their robes and just distanced themselves from the unclean, the riffraff, right? Then there were the other end of the scale, the bad, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, and so on. But the mass of the people were in between. So they all wanted to get to where the Pharisees were. You see that? So this is what they're asking. What are the works that we have to do to get there, to be good? Okay. Jesus answered by saying, not referring to works, plural, but to work. One thing, one thing. Let's focus on one thing that's necessary. Okay. This is the work. They asked what are the works we've got to do. This is the work that you believe in him whom he sent. In other words, it comes back to faith. Put your trust in me. When you believe in the Father, you believe in the Son. When you believe in the Son, you believe in the Father. Because they are one. This is why we come back to this whole thing of the gospel is the gospel of grace. 
Grace does not incur a debt. If there is something I need to do, and I do it, then God owes me because I've done the work. But that's not grace. There, grace does not incur a debt. If it's by works, then God is indebted to us and we have reason to boast and rob Him of His glory. Amen? But it's by grace we're saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest what? Anyone should boast. As Paul said in Romans 3 when he was sharing the gospel, where is boasting? It's excluded. There's no place for boasting. No high fives in heaven. Amen? Jesus has done it all. It's all by grace. Grace does... Now, this is where it gets very radical and dangerous. Why a lot of people don't like grace. But what I'm saying is true. You can get saved and nothing else. You do not owe God anything that you've got to repay. And you say, that's dangerous. Well, I'm sorry, but that's the gospel. It's all about what God has done in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Any, anybody that tells you, you must do this, to keep your salvation or to get your salvation, to maintain your salvation, you've got to do that, you've got to do it, give you a whole bunch of works. That's a false gospel. And Paul says if anyone preaches that kind of gospel, you add anything to Jesus, Jesus plus anything, let him be accursed. That's a false gospel. Amen? Now, it doesn't mean to say that we do not do works. There's a difference between dead works and good works. Dead works are anything we try to offer to God to get him to accept us or bless us. Jesus has done it all. Good works are the response that we give to God because we've just been lost in wonder, love and praise. We've been overwhelmed by the love of God to us and given his only son to die in our place, take our judgment upon himself that we might be forgiven. We're just so grateful we just give our lives to him. That's the difference. That's good works. Amen? So the meat that endures to everlasting life is given to us by the Son of Man. But the carnal mind is enmity against God. It's too proud to accept the gift and tries to earn it. That's self-righteousness. Look at many examples of this that young man in fact this is really what julian was referring to earlier on that young man that came to jesus good teacher what shall i do to inherit eternal life what shall i do she said well what does the law say you know what are the commandments saying and he he mentioned the the manfold aspects that our duties toward men not to us towards god don't steal don't kill don't lie don't, you know honor your mother and father and so on what did Jesus say? No, he said, all those I've done. I've kept those since I was young. Jesus said, one thing you lack. There's always one thing we will lack. One thing you lack. Go and sell what you have and give to the poor. Because, the, the, you know, the law is summed up in these two things. Love God with all your might, with all your strength, with all your mind, and so on. And love your neighbor, what, as yourself. As much as you love yourself. He was a rich man. Jesus is saying there's a lot of poor people that are hungry. Sell what you, if you really love your neighbor as yourself, sell everything, give to the poor. And he went away sad. And the disciple says, how hard it is to inherit the kingdom of God. Is it hard? It's impossible. It's impossible. You can't save yourself. 
You can't say, you can't love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. Nobody does that. Don't be self-righteous. You don't do that. Nobody does that. So with man, it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. You look at yourself, try to save yourself. It's impossible. You cannot do it. You look to God and he says, I've given you a savior. Believe on the Lord. You say, this is the work you've got to do. Believe on him whom he sent. Amen. When Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do? Jesus said, uh, sorry, Peter said, repent, which means simply to change your mind about Jesus. You thought he was an imposter. You put him on the cross. You killed the prince of life. Repent, change your mind. He's the son of God. Believe in him and be baptized, which is a public professional or confession of your faith. The Philippian jailer asked the same question. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? See, this is the carnal mind, which is enmity towards God. What did Paul say? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Even the prodigal son, when he came home, he had the servant mentality. Make me as one of your hired servants. I would never be a son again. But if, if, if I can serve to keep my place in the home, make me a servant. That's the carnal mind. That's enmity against God. Jesus answered, do nothing. Only believe. Accept the work that has already been done. That's why it's called the finished work of Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, he said that one word, tetelestai, which means it's finished. He didn't say it's partially completed. I've done my part, now you do yours. He said it's finished. Everything God has ever required to put us in the right with himself, Jesus accomplished at the cross. He took all our sin, received this just judgment, and imputed to us his righteousness by which we stand before God. Wonderful salvation. All the glory goes to him. Where is boasting? It is excluded. Amen. Therefore they said to him, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? In other words, he's presenting himself as the Messiah, the Saviour. How do we know you're the Saviour? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. In other words, if I can paraphrase that, they were saying, show us your credentials and don't say feeding the 5,000, the fact that you fed the 5,000 because Moses did greater than that. He fed millions every day in the wilderness. Jesus answered, number one, it wasn't Moses. Moses didn't do that, that was God. It was God that sent the bread down, not Moses. And that bread was just a symbol of the living bread, which only he could give. Even those in the wilderness despised the manna in the end. Is that right? Is that right? They loathed their soul, loathed it. We want more than this. We, and and that, that's, you know, people try to feed. 
We are created in the image of God. We're not animals. Animals are satisfied with just food and comfort. That's, that satisfies them. All their needs are met. We're different to that. But we, we're hungry if Jesus is not the bread of life. We're not feeding on him. That's why people chase after things and, and, and they're always hungry for new experiences and, and, and so on. And material things. You know, people run after material But in the end, they get sick of them. Why? Because they will never fill that part of us that, that is God-shaped. Amen. The spirit, the human spirit can only be filled by God. And Jesus said, I've come to feed that inner part of you. Amen. They said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger, shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Now, we've said that John's gospel is built around these seven signs but there are also seven I am's. This is the first of them. We've come to the first of the I am statements of Jesus. You know that God revealed himself to Moses by that name I am in the burning bush. Who shall I say that, who shall I say sent me? Moses asked. God says I am that I am, a very sacred name. In fact the Jews would not even write that name, it's so sacred. They missed out the veil, so we don't even know the true word that was used. They just used the, the, the consonants from which we get the word Yahweh or Jehovah. It's, it's from the verb to be. I am that I am. The self-existent one. So when Jesus took that name upon himself, he was just affirming his deity. I am you know, before Abraham was, I am. The God who exists even outside of time, the past, the present, the future, he always has been, always will be. I am the bread of life. The bread Jesus offers is himself, in whom is everything we really need. Everything is found in, in Jesus. He is our He's our salvation. As I said, you know, he takes all our sins upon him. The great burden of our sin, he lifts from us. He's taken it to himself, taken it to the cross, said it's finished. There's no condemnation now. He meets that need. No, he's dealt with guilt, he's dealt with sin consciousness. Religions into sin consciousness and will always try to keep making you feel guilty even though you've made your peace with God. Religion will keep heaping guilt on but Jesus takes that burden from you. Says it's finished. Amen. Not only that, he gives us peace. Peace when we shouldn't be having peace. Not, not peaceful circumstances. We can be in a storm. We can be in tumultuous times. But that's why it's called peace that passes understanding. Peace we have when we shouldn't be having peace. Amen. He gives us freedom from the dominion of sin. He breaks the power of sin over our lives. He sets the addict free. You know, sin shall not have dominion over you. That's in Jesus. When you're in Jesus, you're free. You're out of the prison. 
of the bondage of sin. Thank God for that. He gives us grace for every situation we, we, we're in. You know, he, whatever, whatever situation, his grace is sufficient. He's the bread of life to us. Hallelujah. He gives us joy in the midst of trials and tribulations. You know, it's not happiness, is it? It's joy. Happiness is when everything is happening for us. But joy is something that only God can give us. It's himself. Without him we may exist but not live. Bread can give us physical nourishment, but Jesus gives life. He says, I've come that you might have life. He's the bread of life to us. They will always hunger and for real life. Always be chasing something. You notice that? People are always chasing something. Always chasing, never satisfied. You know, you see it in some of these programs on TV, these reality programs. You think, what on earth? Like, has their life come to that, that they've just got to grab anything? And they're so thirsty, so hungry. Amen. But you know, the sad thing is that when that comes into the Christian life, I, you know, I remember um, a few years back, you know, when, uh, when Mary Ann was alive, we used to be caught up in, in, in you know, this, this thing of chasing after the latest phenomena. Whatever was happening, the latest buzz in the Christian life. And going to big conferences and big meetings where they would promise this or big healing crusades and promise that the, the sick were going to be healed and so on. And you see them getting wheeled in and then you see them getting wheeled out again on their wheelchairs. And you, you go through all this, you see it all happening. And I remember, you know, we were invited to the next conference and all the pastors were accepted to be there. And Marianne and I said, look, we don't need this. Jesus is our treasure. We have Jesus. He's enough. What are we doing chasing things when we have Jesus? He's, our, he's the bread of life to us. Amen? You have him, you're complete in him. And that was when we stopped going to those, those kind of things. We're not chasing things anymore. The hunger is ended. Praise God. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life and I will raise him up at the last day. Now here's something that we just need to look at this. Jesus speaks of those who come to him as being given to him by the Father. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. Uh, that tells us very clearly there's nothing random or hit and miss about salvation. It's not like just throw it out there, see who bites. No, it's deeper than that. I don't understand it all, but listen, friends. If you don't understand something, don't, don't throw it out. Don't wait till you understand it before you believe it. Because you'll miss out on a lot of things in your Christian life. Amen? 
There's a lot of things I don't understand. But just because I don't understand them, it doesn't mean they're true. If God says it, if Jesus said it, it's true. For example, I don't understand creation. I don't understand how God could speak and a universe could come into being. Scientifically, explain that to me. I don't understand that. But the Bible says, by faith, we understand that the worlds were framed. And I tell you what, the more you believe, then you start to understand things more. Understanding does not precede faith. Faith precedes understanding. And here's an example here. Everyone who has ever believed in Jesus, in fact, those that even looked forward to Jesus before Jesus was born and trusted in him, he will raise them up at the last day. You think about that. Can you, put, can you understand that? People that have been died, buried, cremated, even lost at sea, eaten by marine life or whatever, perished in fires, they will all be raised up in the last day. Do you understand that? No, I don't, but I believe it. I believe it 100%. 100%. I've got no doubt about it. He will raise every believer up with a body like unto his glorious body. Amen? Now, here's something. I don't understand it all. But it says this very clearly, that all that the Father has given to Jesus will come to him. I find great comfort in this. There's nothing random or hidden miss about salvation. The Father brings these to Christ by invitation through the Word and the Spirit. That's how they come. See, there's, a, there's looking at it from God's perspective, he gives to Jesus those that will come to him. From our perspective, we're invited to come through the word and drawn by the spirit. Amen? Now, how those two work together? Well, you, I won't comment on that. I don't need to. I don't need to. Just need to understand it. Seven times in John 17, Jesus speaks of those the Father gave him. And, and, and in John chapter 17, this is his high priestly prayer before he went to the cross. He said, I finished the work you gave me. But he wasn't talking about the cross because he hadn't been to the cross. What was the work Jesus, uh, the Father gave him? It was his disciples. Forty times in this chapter, he mentions his disciples. Forty times. And seven times he speaks of them as those that were given to him by the Father. You have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I have kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept. And then, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. Isn't that amazing? Now we can get this thing of election. I don't understand it, but I believe it. I don't understand it. I believe it. Don't ask me to explain it. And the man that's got an answer to everything is, is a man you, you shouldn't be trusting. Nobody knows everything. Nobody's got a monopoly of truth, friends. But I believe what it says here, that just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Okay, so it's not a random thing. Don't think that you just bumped into 
someone who happened to be sharing the gospel and, and you believed and got saved. You were given to Jesus by the Father. Amen. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 13, but we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth. Now this is looking at it from God's perspective. He draws back a little bit of the curtain, lets us see a little bit, but no more. We haven't got the full story. So we'll go that far, no further. Don't build a big doctrine that God has chosen some and rejected others. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. In fact, we'll, we'll, we'll look as we just go on here. In verse 36, Jesus said uh, to some, you have seen me and do not believe. Was he discouraged? See, we can get encouragement from what I'm sharing right now. You, get, you really get encouraged. I got encouraged. Was he discouraged? Was he discouraged when we see next week that most of them turned around and walked away from him? Was he discouraged? No, he wasn't. Because he didn't think this whole thing was random, hit and miss and kind of... You know, it's all up to me to make them keep believing and that sort of thing. It's not, friends, not. Because he said, all that the Father gives me shall come to me. All. Without, without exception, without fail. Our message may reje be rejected by some, but those chosen in him before the foundation of the world will come to him. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Knowing the Father has some, if he has no more, Jesus is coming back. And while Jesus does not come back, count that, as that long suffering as salvation, Peter says. God is still in the business of saving, giving people to Jesus, those that will come to him. So don't be discouraged. Keep on preaching. Keep on preaching. Leave the results to God. Keep on witnessing. Keep on sharing. Amen? Now, we see the balance of this. From verse 40, we see that no one need fear that they have not been invited. It's not a... You know, the gospel is those that are chosen... The gospel is not those that are chosen come to Jesus. No, it's not. It's those who believe. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, come. Amen? That's our responsibility, is to believe in him. Everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. Note the order of these two verbs. Believing on Christ is the result of seeing him. In other words, he first must be revealed to us by the Spirit before he will be received by us. People can hear about the loveliness of Jesus, the beauty of Jesus, the, the fact that he is God manifest in the flesh who came to save us from our sin. They can sit there and yawn and walk away because Christ has not been revealed to them. But when the Spirit is revealed, then tears flow from people's eyes and people fall down at his feet and worship him in wonder, love and praise and yield their lives to him. Those who are his come to Jesus by invitation, as I said, through the word and the spirit. As we finish up then, those responding to the word will never, never be cast out. Never. In no wise, it says. No way. Doesn't matter what pe ways people invent that you can lose your salvation. You can't. You will never be cast out. In fact, that term is the same term used in John chapter 9 
verse 35, where Jesus healed a blind man, and because that blind man trusted in Jesus, the Pharisees cast him out. They excommunicated him. Jesus said, I'll never do that. That's what religion does. Religion will do that. It will cut you off, so you have no, you know, okay, that man's been cut off now. I have no, nothing more to do with him. That's, a, that's cultish, friends. Jesus said, I will never, never, never cast you out. Hallelujah. And six times in this chapter, Jesus says he came down from heaven. He's of heavenly origin. He's not just another prophet, another teacher. He came to do the Father's will. He's not just the prophet speaking God's word. He is the Son fulfilling the Father's purpose. God in these last days has spoken to us through his Son. He that has the Son has life. Also, he guarantees to keep all those the Father has given to him and to raise them up at the last day, as we just shared. Praise God. What a wonderful salvation. What a wonderful salvation that is. I trust you've been encouraged this morning by what we've read from John's Gospel. And that uh, we just, you know, we just strengthen our faith in Jesus. It's all about him. Keep your eyes upon Jesus. Trust in him. Rest in him. And let his life be manifested in you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning for the word of God, which quickens us, which strengthens us, which brings light to our lives, enlightenment to our souls, and life to our very being. Pray that, Lord, this word will fall into good ground today, both in this place and in other places where this word is being heard. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.